0: This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I've been right about Fauci the whole time. You know that. I know that. And it's good to be right, but in this case, I wish I had been wrong because of what it has meant for the country. So many people have been holding this guy up as though he's the great hero of the pandemic. What we're going to find out is that Fauci... Based on the truth, based on facts and numbers and reality, Fauci is somebody that is worse in how he responded to the pandemic than even Cuomo and Newsom and some of these idiot governors that did a terrible job. We'll, We'll get to that. But, you know, flag season is here, folks. And I've been telling you about our friends at Allegiance Flag Supply, a great American small business where the founders started the company because they were tired of buying American flags. That got tangled up and just worn out really quickly when they're out on display. And they really believed strongly that the American flag should be made here in America. You might be saying to yourself, a flag is a flag, isn't it, Buck? No, my friends. If you've had an American flag in front of your house and you've ever experienced the constant tangling around poles or the quick deterioration because of wind, rain, sun, this is where American flags from Allegiance Flag Supply stand out. Their flags are made from 200 denier nylon. A material strong and durable, but lightweight enough to fly nicely in a breeze. The flags are also made with mold-resistant material and crafted using double needle lock stitching. In addition, when you buy their flag set, you receive their non-tangle flagpole spinners that ensure your flag will spin around the pole and no longer get tangled. Allegiance Flag Supply Blink. Allegiance Flag Supply brings the respect to the manufacturing process that the American flag deserves, and you can experience the high quality of this craftsmanship in front of your own home by going to this website, showallegiance.com, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order. That's showallegiance.com, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order, and get yours in time for Flag Day on June 14th. That's right. Showallegiance.com is the website. Enter promo code Buck for 10% off your new American flag made right here in America. Fauci emails dropping all over the place now, thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request. I highly recommend you dive into some of them yourself if you get a moment or just listen to this show. I'll do it for you. Because what you'll see is a lot of what we've been told, including by Fauci himself from the beginning of the pandemic, was not really reflective of the conversation going on behind the scenes. A lot of what was going on here involved things like telling colleagues that retail masks don't really do very much, if anything, Um, he was aware there was a possible lab leak. There was some talk of gain of function possibility in terms of the uh, lab leak theory. So here's an ex- here's an example. You know, now now the truth starts to come out over a year into this pandemic of the guy who was elevated to be essentially in charge without any meaningful oversight, without anybody being able to say, hold on a second, who is this little clown? You know, here I am. I'm just, a, I'm just a humble doctor who happens to have almost Stalin-like authority over all of American society. And, you know, maybe I have to be on the cover of InStyle magazine. Maybe I've got to have a book deal, which we now know he's got a book coming out as well. Expect the Unexpected. Isn't it such a clever title? I come up with all the best things, all the best titles. This is an email in February of 2020. That I think you should you should know about. This is this is real Freedom of Information Act request from Anthony Fauci, National Institute of Health. And it's to a woman named Sylvia. And here's what he says. Sylvia, quote, masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection. The typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through material. It might provide some slim benefit in keeping out droplet droplets. If someone coughs or sneezes on you, I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you are going to a very low risk location. Uh, I'm sorry, does that does that seem like. What, we, what we've been told all along here about this, does, does that seem like what, what the storyline has been? Ah, it's small enough. The virus is small enough to pass through the mask material. This is from Dr. Anthony Fauci in February of 2020. If you've said that at any point in the past year, uh, guys, the virus just goes through this, this mesh. It doesn't actually protect you. Uh, to wear this mask, you know, to wear, N95 masks give some protection. And I've always said that. But cloth masks, bandanas, handkerchiefs, a joke, absurd. That's what Fauci was saying. But you weren't allowed to say this before. In fact, uh, Harvard epidemiologist Martin Kulldorff, uh, I believe is his name, had his account on Twitter suspended for saying that masks really, don't do very much. You, you weren't allowed to say this. There are so many of these emails that I think are, are important for you to see. Here's one. This, uh, this comes from, uh, this is a, a tweet from uh, Sarah Westwood at the D.C. Examiner. Peter Dazak, who is deeply involved both in Wuhan coronavirus research and in misleading the public about the likelihood of a lab leak, thanked Fauci for helping dispel the myths around COVID origins And blamed Fox News for targeting his grants. Um, It's it's amazing, isn't it? It says from Anthony Fauci to Peter Daszak. Tony, as the R01 grant publicly targeted by Fox News reporters at the presidential press briefing last night, I just want to say a personal thank you on behalf of our staff and collaborators We're standing up and stating that the scientific evidence supports a natural origin for COVID-19 from a bat to human spillover, not a lab release. So, you know, thanks so much, Fauci, those bad people at Fox News. This is what's going on behind the scenes. These are the actual conversations that are going on. These are the things that are determining health policy. But here's my here's my favorite of all these emails. I mean, certainly the mask thing. The science! you got to listen to the science! Fauci says you have to mask up! Here's one from uh, Christian Anderson on Friday, February 31st, 2020, to Dr. Anthony Fauci. He writes, Hi, Tony. Uh, yes, I saw this earlier, and both Eddie and myself are quoted in it. It's a great article. The problem is our phylogenetic analyses aren't able to answer whether the sequences are unusual at individual residues, except if they are completely off on a phylogenetic tree. The virus looks totally normal and the close clustering with bats suggests that bats serve as the reservoir. The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features potentially look engineered. Oh, So this was in January of 2020. Some aspects of the virus, according to a a top researcher here, did look like they had been engineered. But how is it that we had a whole year of being told it was a conspiracy theory? How is it that we spent all of this time being led to believe that anybody who had questions about Mask effectiveness. Remember, you weren't even allowed to say things like masks barely work if they work at all, which is obviously true. Oh, no, they work. Fauci says they work. Okay, How many times did I ask you on this show? How well do they work? If they can't tell you, then where is the science they're basing this on? If they're guessing, if it's a gut instinct, that's not the same as being able to prove it. That's not the same as scientific fact. And that's where so much of this just falls apart. That's where it becomes so very clear that there was a lot of politics involved in these decisions. This was not a straightforward situation. This was not just whatever... The science said that's what uh, that's what was relayed to the public, enormously consequential and highly politicized decision making from Dr. Fauci. And, and another part of this that I think is so interesting is all the emails you see in which Fauci's talking about, you know, this celebrity or that media outlet wants to do a profile on him, wants to do an interview with him wants And we know this guy loved it because he's on TV every five minutes. Vanity is a human constant, unfortunately. Scientists are no way immune to it. And in fact, many scientists, I think, are more susceptible to it because they've gone through most, if not all of their lives being nerds who don't get the appreciation they deserve, at least in their own minds. So the moment that they get a taste of fame, the moment they have power, you expect that because they're scientists, they're going to wield that judiciously? Of course not some will very few will most would be just like fauci someone who all of a sudden found himself going from really unremarkable bureaucrat to the most powerful and recognizable person in america with the possible exception of donald trump when he was president and even that sometimes felt like fauci fauci was able to override him fauci was critical in delivering the presidency to Joe Biden. So he is certainly a hero to the left. But when you look at the email correspondence, when you have a better understanding of who this guy is, you can see that he was part of crafting a narrative. It was not all about facts. It was not all about science. And they hid a lot of this from their uh, in their discussions in front of the public and in the pronouncements from on high. They got a lot wrong and they hid a lot when it came to information that went against their so-called consensus, Fauci should be held to account for this. But you know what will end up happening? He will he will go off into the sunset rich and famous and a hero to Democrats because they take care of their ideological warriors. And that's exactly what Fauci has been, a failure in the pandemic, a failure to keep Americans safe. And to speak difficult truths and to take unpopular but scientifically based positions. No, he did what the left Democrat mob, what the collectivists, what the quadruple maskers wanted him to do at every step of the way. Good for Fauci, bad for America. And that's what you see in these emails. And yes, I think a lot of people have egg on their face. This was an idea uh, that, that was first put forward by Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State Donald Trump. And look, some things may be true even if Donald Trump said them. And there was because Trump was saying so much else that was just out of control, and because he was, uh, you know, making a, a a frankly racist appeal, talking about kung flu and and the China virus. His notion that, that, that put forward that this may have. Or he said flatly that this this came from that lab was widely dismissed. But actually, there's some real reason. We don't know. By the way, we still don't know. We absolutely don't know. Uh, but now serious people are saying it needs a serious inquiry. Wow, serious people, huh? Serious people were saying it all along. But he he let you in there. That's uh, I don't know. ABC News is Jonathan Carl formerly of Fox News, I believe, he let you in on on what the corporate media's secret is here. Not really much of a secret. They were opposed to this because Trump was for this. They were opposed to this because it was damaging to Donald Trump to have the whole media saying, he lies, he's lying, he's wrong. It didn't come from a lab. So that was their motivation. The truth being accurate? And this is not a thing of minor consequence. Don't you think it's important to know Isn't isn't the the ultimate test and trace finding out where this outbreak began and how it happened? Isn't that more important than any other test and trace we can really do? How can you prevent the next outbreak if you don't know where this one came from or what happened? Ah, uh, yes, this does really matter, doesn't it? It's not it's not just something that you can uh, Cast aside as scoring political points, but there's another part of this that I, I find so curious, and and people are catching on to this. We're also told that there was an a opposition to the lab leak theory because of concerns of racism. <clears throat> that if the if the virus escaped from a Chinese lab, there would be more racism against. Chinese people, Chinese Americans, Asian Americans, whatever, that that everybody in the AAPI community would be at greater risk. Journos really believe this. But to give you a sense of how superficial their thinking is, journos believe this without stopping to think, hold on a second. Why is it going to create racist backlash if people think that this happened as a result of scientific experiments in a lab but not if people believe, as was the official narrative for almost a year, that we had millions of people die and billions of people infected because some Chinese guys were drinking bat soup or eating Pangolin kebabs. Why Why would one result in racism but the other would not? I'm just the, the thinking here doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? I think it's much more... Uh, it's much easier to wrap your head around a a an accident at a lab than it is for people to think, oh, well, if people in China want to just eat exotic pets in highly unsanitary conditions in these markets, you know, that's fine. That's a cultural tradition or, or whatever. No, I, I, I this never made sense, this theory or this this approach to it, but this is what they've. This is what they've said, and, and there's serious argument out there right now that when we look further into this, we're going to find that there was human recklessness, not just human error, but human recklessness at the very heart of the COVID pandemic. Think about what that will do. You want to talk about losing faith in institutions. I've already lost a lot of faith in the bureaucratic medical institutions out there, places like the CDC and the NIH, I've lost faith in anybody who's a blue check MD who's been out there cheerleading for lockdowns and masks all along. Because other people were saying so. And then the moment that there were BLM protests, it all changed. Well, BLM protests are about saving lives. So we got to have those, even though we're, at the time they were saying human gatherings of any kind were completely unsafe lives at stake. That's what they told us. But what you've seen here as well is that there's a, a final recognition among anybody who is paying attention that there's a mass mental illness from COVID, that there is a, a pandemic PTSD, there's COVID-19 derangement syndrome from people that have never been sick, and many of them are, are vaccinated. And they still go around acting like they should be absolutely terrified of this. And I see this here in New York City. I see it every day. There are still countless people walking along the streets who are masked up outside. So if they're worried about the virus, I have to assume they're vaccinated. And if they're vaccinated and outside alone, walking in fresh air and worried about this virus... They really should be worried about a piano falling off a rooftop because the movers made a mistake somewhere and crushing them like a cartoon character because it's about that risky. I cannot guarantee you that if you walk down the streets of New York City, a brick won't fall off the facade and hit you in the head. I can't guarantee you that a a moving company isn't going to let a piano slip out the window and crush you. I, I, But I know that you shouldn't worry about that. I know that if you go through your life with that concern, you're just really stealing from yourself. And it's even worse because these panicked lockdowners also want to steal from you. They want to steal your time, your peace of mind, your productivity. This all comes with a cost. Dr. Scott Atlas, formerly of the Trump COVID task force, had this to say, play it. As far as I know, there's no evidence that the vaccines don't cover the variants. I think even uh, Dr. Fauci said that. You know, so I, I think there, there, there's a lot of issues here. We're not going to go for a zero COVID world or a zero risk world. If we do, then you better live in your, you know, lock your doors and never come out again. I mean, that's just irrational. And in fact, the fear, the fear, inciting fear in search of zero COVID risk is, Is so harmful and uh, it just indicates so many things wrong, including it totally undermines the trust in public health leadership. And this this has really been devastating to that. I'm not sure what's going to happen the next time we need experts. It's all true. People should have tremendous skepticism about anyone who holds themselves up as a as a public health expert based on what we've seen. This is one of the the legacies of Fauciism. Those who come forward who say they know and they don't know. They say it's science and it's really not and then we find out what they call science is actually politics that has a substantial impact. That's a reminder to everyone. But you better beware when someone accumulates too much power and has no accountability. Just because they wear a lab coat doesn't mean it's all going to be just fine. Living in a digital age where your personal data is always under attack, your online privacy seems to be a thing of the past. There's a better way that you can protect your information and privacy without worrying about the prying eyes of big data. Introducing Secure, encrypted instant messaging and secure email hosted in Switzerland where the world's strictest data privacy laws are applied. By using proprietary technology and military-grade encryption methods, a a proprietary platform and servers hosted in Switzerland, Secure protects your data from the Invasive Cloud Act and other privacy-intrusive laws. These are secure email and instant messaging services never seen before in the market today, and they're away from big tech platforms such as Amazon Web Services, Facebook, WhatsApp, Microsoft, and Google. Take back your privacy and online security with Secure by going to secure.com. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use the coupon code BUCK for one week free and 25% off. Be sure and use that coupon code BUCK. Again, go to this website, S-E-K-U-R, secure, S-E-K-U-R dot And regain your privacy. The joint session of Congress. According to the intelligence community. Terrorism from white supremacy. Is the most lethal threat. To the homeland today. Not ISIS. Not Al Qaeda. White supremacists. White supremacist terrorism. You got to be on the lookout for it all the time. It's all over the place. Any moment now. Now, are there white supremacists? Yes. Are there white supremacist terrorists? Yes. Are they really a a threat worthy of the kind of attention and focus that they get from the Biden administration, from the current uh, federal government, from this regime? No, they are not. Why do they focus so much on this? Because it creates a climate of of weaponized association of sorts, right? You weaponize the fact that there are right-wingers who are in some way connected through this tenuous ideological thread to some of the extreme far-right white nationalist types out there, right? They say, well, you're on the right. So this is basically saying, well, if you're a mainstream Democrat, who's been voting Democrat for 50 years. And, you know, you're you're a union worker in Ohio who's Catholic and votes Democrat. You're the same as an Antifa lunatic who tries to burn down a federal courthouse or burn down a church. Right. You're The exact same thing. That's what they try to do. They try to paint with this intentionally the broadest possible brush and sweep everybody in the right in this in this morally evil and and from a security perspective, imminent threat of the white nationalist terrorists. This is also why you have such a focus on the January 6th insurrection. That's why they call it an insurrection when it was not that. There was no no serious threat or even serious plot to overthrow the United States government by force. This is insane. All right, if one guy with a cart that says... I am now the president of the United States, you know, walks it through Times Square and then tries to wrestle a police officer to the ground. That's not an insurrection, right? There are limits on the level of absurdity we will allow the other side to get away with in their description of things. It was a riot, something the left is not only comfortable with and and engages with on a regular basis, but often celebrates and justifies. We say, no, the riot was bad. Breaking the law is bad. They should not have done that. Uh, They should be punished. I don't think they should be held in solitary confinement for months on end. Under the trumped up, pardon the phrase, allegation that they were really a mortal threat to the United States government. I keep reading all these news headlines. They say the lethal riot on January 6th, the deadly riot on January 6th. The only person who died from the riot was a rioter. Nobody else died from the riot, but they keep repeating this. All right. Having a heart attack two days later is not a riot induced violent death. That's not the same thing, but they keep saying it. Why? Because they need this. They have to create a story for themselves here of the righteous left wing of the Democrats restoring decency and normalcy to america keep in mind they're restoring decency by defining everybody who does not agree with their agenda as being evil and worthy of suppression worthy of the force of the state being brought to bear against them this is not a a recipe for a healthy political climate and that's putting it mildly but this is what we are up against terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today that's that's what they say look at the way that the democrat mindset the democrat left was always underplaying and defining away and and trying to uh tr- trying to minimize the threat of islamic terrorism in america which for years and years was the the biggest the biggest terrorist threat we faced, it's obvious they used to put up these graphics i remember i was at cnn once they did this the number of of people killed by white supremacist terrorists versus the number of people killed by islamic terrorists and they would start after 9-11 so they wouldn't include 9-11 they would cut that out and say see look at the statistics and then i would have to sit there and say okay well hold on a second how many Muslim Americans are there in this country? Uh, let's, it's, roughly, uh, it, it's roughly 5 to 10 million, something like that. It's 2 or 3% of the population maybe along those lines. How many white males are there in America? It's a very large chunk of the population by comparison. Or just how many white people are in America? It's, a, it's still a, a majority of the country. So now you're talking about over 150 million people instead of a, a few million. So when when one group I used to have to do this analysis I would argue with people at CNN because they would say well the threat for years even when ISIS was doing mass casualty attacks even when we were we were using a multi-billion dollar anti-terrorism security apparatus post 9/11 to to deal almost exclusively with jihadist terrorism perhaps a better way of describing a better term for it jihadist terrorism Uh, and when you're talking about roughly one percent of the u.s population that was responsible for being a community from which the largest percentage of terrorism came from at that at that period in time right isis so when you look at the proportionality of this comparing it to to you know, right wing white America, well, well, you're you're comparing something that is all automatically a much sl- a smaller percentage of the population, much smaller group of the population, comprising a much larger percentage of the terrorist threat. That that was the debate during the war on terror years that we'd have to go through. And now I look at this and I say, okay, white supremacist terrorism. What really is? What really is the threat? Are, are they so concerned with? Are they trying to stop uh, someone from, let, let's say, the, uh, the the Charleston church shooter? That guy, that that was a white supremacist terrorist. That's that's exactly what we're talking about here. They're going to stop that? Is that the, the focus of the federal government? Or is it on the January 6th commission and just running around and calling everybody white supremacists? Anybody who... Supported Donald Trump, anybody who's a Republican, who had questions about the election or who, you know, pushed against, fought against COVID lockdowns. You know, last night I saw on, on Tucker's show, this is just a, a side note, but I saw on Tucker's show, you had the numbers, the statistics for vaccine hesitancy. And we have all the major media networks that are saying it's a, it's a right wing male, white male phenomenon to not get vaccinated when Sure enough, the BIPOC community in this country um, comprises uh, what well, we're talking about, Latinos and African-Americans have the lowest vaccination rate still. But yet you go, you see on TV, all you hear about is, though, you know, the white male Republicans who won't get vaccinated. It's because these these are narratives, stories that are not true, that make people who believe certain things, feel better about themselves and their beliefs. That's what Democrats, that's what the left needs to hear. And so now it's all about, you know, white supremacy and everyone's a white supremacist running around. This is what the left says. Remember, Joe Biden is supposed to be the great fighter against white supremacy all of a sudden. Really? He's a, he's a rich old white guy who does whatever advances his interests. But I'm, I'm sure he's deeply concerned about communities of color. This is the whole, whole storyline. This is what they do. And we hear about this all the time. But they also talk about the existential threat of climate change. These people are nuts. No normal, well-adjusted American is walking around worried about the existential threat of climate change or worried about the threat of white supremacist terrorism or another insurrection against the government. But these are constants in the way the Democrat Party talks about life in America today. there's an obsession with with race and really with creating racial discord among Democrats and exploiting it for their own purposes. Remember, if the black community did not vote over 90% Democrat, they, they wouldn't be able to win a presidential election. So the stakes here are very high. They'll say whatever they have to say. The Democrat apparatus, Joe Biden, his administration, they'll say whatever they have to say for power because that is the motivating principle. Everything else is just... Window dressing. The data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding, given the chance, as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers. They don't have they they, they don't have accountants. But they have great ideas. Does anyone doubt this whole nation would be better off from the investments those people make? And I promise you, that's why I set up this national small business administration that's much broader because they're going to get those loans. They don't have lawyers. They don't have accountants, Biden says, of black entrepreneurs. That's not true. <laughs> so I, I just why is it OK that Joe Biden can say something so demonstrably and obviously false on this issue? And the media just goes along with it. It's just not accurate. At all. I mean, it's obviously not accurate. There's there's no debate about this. There are plenty of black entrepreneurs who have access to and use lawyers and accountants and and very good ones at that. So what is Biden really saying? It's just blather. It's just pandering. It's pandering from an old out of touch white guy. The Democrat Party is propping up like it's weekend at Bernie's presidency. That's what's going on. But you won't ever hear that from the media. Why? Well, because they understand, they know what the game is here. They understand what's really going on. In fact, if you're wondering, I mean, Barack Obama came out and said it straight up recently that Joe Biden, Mr. Moderate Amtrak Joe from Scranton, his purpose is to finish the job, as Obama says, that the Obama administration started or or got going for eight years that this really is Joe Biden is the third term of Obama, just without Obama actually living in the White House. Here's the former President Obama saying it himself, play 11. And I think that what we're seeing now is Joe Biden and the administration are essentially finishing the job. And I think it'll be an interesting test. You know, 90% of the folks who were there were there in my administration. They are continuing And building on the policies we talked about, whether it's the Affordable Care Act or our climate change agenda and and the Paris Peace Accords and figuring out how how do we improve the ladders to mobility through things like community colleges. And if, as I think they will be, they're successful over the next four years, I think that will have an impact. A classic Obamaism too here. you know, if they're successful, that will have an impact. Oh, my gosh, it's so brilliant. Look what he's... You know, if they win the game, they will probably be victorious. I mean, oh, my gosh, Obama's a genius. It's amazing. I know, this is what we always hear. Uh, but what he says about how many people, this is just the Obama administration without Obama. That's what you've got. That's what you've got here with this Democrat, uh, Democrat apparatus. That's why I refer to it as an apparatus. It's really not a job about Joe Biden. It's about the people who are around him. It's about those who are running these federal agencies and and pushing the agenda of this White House behind behind closed doors. Also on this point about systemic racism and remember, you know, the white supremacist terrorism is just the the worst manifestation of the systemic racism that we are to believe is. It has infected every aspect of American society. It is everywhere. You, every institution, every agency of government. There's, there's systemic racism everywhere. Where is, where is it? How is it? What? How do we deal with it? Oh, don't, don't ask any questions. Just shut up and listen to the diversity and inclusion lecture. That's America today. Here's a Ibrahim Kendi. Want, want to find a racism expert? This guy is supposed to be one of the great experts on racism. He's made a whole career out of it. Here's what it sounds like when he tries to explain at a conference what racism is. Play three. You talked about the importance of defining racism, but I, but I, unless I missed it, which is possible, I don't, I didn't hear your personal definition. Is there, is there one that you would offer us? Like, how do you define racism? Sure. So racism, I would define it um, as a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. (laughs) Sure. A a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. And anti-racism, is a pretty simple, using the same terms. Anti-racism is a collection of anti-racist policies leading to racial, anybody want to take a guess? Yeah, equity quality, quality, quality. that are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. Ah. So you understand that the definition is, it's whatever he says it is. Because all those other terms, well, what, what does that mean? What's a racist policy? What's racial equity? What's, uh, what's a, you know, just racial outcome it's all subject to not just interpretation to the whims of the individuals the high priests of the critical race theory religion if you will they get to determine what this really means in practice and that's the whole point this is about power what what is what is a standard definition of racism one that people can understand and and, and people could use to guide their own actions in their own lives. Racism is thinking about or treating people differently, good or bad, because of their race. It is immoral to make distinctions based upon skin color. It is immoral to have different legal or personal treatment of an individual because of, their, of the pigment in their skin. It's immoral. It's wrong. That's a definition of racism that, that also can be meaningful to people in terms of how to guide their own actions and how to act in their lives. What what Ibrahim Kennedy gave you is, do what I say or else you're a racist. Support the policies I want or else you're a racist. And thus the whole game is given away. We're hosts of a three-hour show, Mika and I, about politics. But, I mean... It, it, It's not good for this country to be talking about politics 24 hours. Say, that's not who we are. fighting about politics. Well, are you even talking about politics, obsessing about politics? People looking at MSNBC or Fox 24 hours a day or CNN 24 hours a day. I feel like, you know, know, then to Ferris Bueller. What are you still doing? Go out. (laughs) Like, do something. Get out, you know. I tell you, sometimes, even Morning Joe has something worthwhile to say. And I I will admit that to you. Now, no one's watching anything 24 hours a day. I I know that's intentional exaggeration. I'm not quibbling with that, but i am just saying. Uh, obviously, um, that's the case. But I think that it it is an important reminder here because we've gone through a period of time where we have been cut off from actual human contact, where we've been uh, consuming, I think, so much more Information media than at any other time and have more options in the consumption of information media, you know, pick the pick who you're going to give your time to and guard your time. One of the most important lessons we all learn, I think, as we get older is how how necessary it is to protect your time Um, and and not to. I mean, I have some things that I always say to myself and I tell to those who are close to me, don't let the unimportant affect the important. Right. This is, you know, don't uh, don't take a, you know, a meeting with somebody who is going to make your boss think you're being disloyal for having that meeting just because you think you're going to be a nice guy by taking the meeting. Right. You know, don't allow the unimportant to affect the important. But also that that's a thing that I often say, I think. And it's true in relationships. You know, don't take a phone call from your ex-wife if it, or from your ex-husband. If your, your current husband is going to say, well, well, why are you talking to that guy? You know, d- don't allow things like that to creep up in your life. It's very easy to do so. And not with that, with, with having good intentions, too. Oh, I just needed to, I didn't want someone to feel like I was being rude. I can't tell you how many times in my life I just, I, I, I made a decision because I didn't want to be rude. And then I ended up being more rude in a sense or more problematic created an issue out of that desire to, to be polite, not hurt someone's feelings. OK, I'll, I'll you know, I'll hear them out or I'll take this call or I'll have this meeting or whatever it may be. And then I have a problem later. You know, then all of a sudden I got an issue because I'm trying to be a you can try to be a good guy or gal and end up making uh, making mistakes that are much bigger than you anticipate. So you've got to remember. And that's why I have that rule. Don't let the unimportant affect the important. And then another one is just learning, and this is, I know I got off on a tangent there, but learning to protect your time. The one thing you can never get back is your time. The one thing that you you cherish more, certainly as you get older, as you have a more of a perspective on it, is how valuable your time is to you. And it's possible right now, without even thinking about it, I think more than in any period in human history, to just waste and waste and waste more time with all these these quick fix attention grabbers you know they oh you know turn here's another flashing light here's another thing to click on here's another some of that is good some of that is worthwhile i work in news media i think news and politics are important but it's all within a it's all within a context it's all within a framework of you got to make sure that you turn off don't you know don't have a news channel in the background all day I, I don't think that's a good idea no matter what the news channel is don't have it in the background all day maybe if you're at the office and you're in the workplace that's one thing but I mean when you're home get away from it shut it down shut it down think about your life think about who you are what you're doing your relationships that matter to you you know we've now, finally, I think as a nation, we're realizing, OK, COVID's over, basically. It's never really over. Right. It's like saying, well, you know, the, even after the great influenza pandemic of 1918, there were still flus. There are still people that died from the flu. But the pandemic was over. The, the COVID pandemic is in this country over. There's still COVID and there's still people who will die from. But it's, it's not a, it's not a pandemic anymore. And and for some of us, we've been living pretty normal lives for a while, but for others, they're finally waking up to, oh, now they have to make decisions and determinations about how they spend their time. Now there's actual human interaction that they're going to have to manage and and deal with. And for some people, I think that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be an issue. It's a lot easier to maintain uh, relationships with people when they're just uh, in the superficial realm of digital communications, when you have to give somebody your presence and your attention, physical presence and actual attention, not multitasking eight people in different text messages at once and sending out four emails and, and all this. That, that feels very different. So just remember that, that it is a precious thing. when you. This is why I always say to all of you that you spend your time with me, you listen to this show, I understand that there's there's quite literally tens of thousands of podcasts you could listen to that deal with politics. I, and, and those are the ones that people have heard of. I mean, there's over a million podcasts total in the Apple store, just to give you a sense of it. But I know that if you're listening to me, you're you're making the choice not to listen to a lot of other shows and so that's a precious thing because I, I don't I don't recommend spending four or eight or ten hours of your day in the news realm, in a capacity. And I think that's become far too easy for us. And you can almost create an escapism of, of despair through news, which is not healthy psychologically. A lot of people in America and around the world created an escapism of pandemic despair. Now, obviously, they're not escaping the pandemic by doing this. No, the opposite they immerse themselves emotionally and psychologically so deeply in it that they block out, you know, why haven't I talked to my brother in five years? You know, why, why haven't I visited, uh, you know, my elderly uh, grandparents or parents in six months? Well, during the pandemic, I know there are reasons for that, but you know what I'm saying. In general, why, why haven't I worked harder at my job? Why haven't I lost those 20 pounds I've been trying to lose for the last 10 years? You know, it, you, you can start to use... The distraction of the world collapsing all around you through news, which is going to take a, a focus on the negative, as a means of avoiding what really matters to you in your day-to-day life and what you can control. So yes, sp- spend your time with me, listen to this show, and then, you know, that's it. Maybe one maybe one or two news shows, if you want, at night uh, before you go to bed, and uh, you know, a scan of a newspaper headlines, if you want, but that's it. Don't get dragged into this because I do believe that there is a a real mental health crisis in this country that's being made worse by social media. That's being made that has been made much worse by the lockdowns and then just by this this Democrat machinery of constant hysteria out there about the insurrection and about all the the white supremacist terrorists and the institutional racism and the killer cops and all the. You know, all these just completely exaggerated threats uh, to America, to to Americans in their day to day lives. Um, it's it's easy to start to feel down about it. And I, I know for a lot of you who got used to having there was a certain look, it was fun when Trump was president. He was putting out entertaining tweets and he was engaging and it, it was like never a dull moment in America with the Trump presidency going on. Now there's just something depressing about a Biden presidency. I mean, a lot of things are depressing about it, but we, we can all feel that. And then the media focus on the negative all the time, not about the Biden presidency, of course. So we're depressed because Biden's the president. And then the media wants us to think there are all these other horrible things going on that we have to be so focused on that, that aren't uh, caused by the Biden administration. This is just my my appeal to all of you. Take time to relax your mind and be with people who matter, and do it every day. Relax your mind, however that is. Get away from these things. Get away from the the fixation on on left right, uh, left right, and you know all the challenges of politics today. And then jump back into the fray with me, rested, ready, refreshed. You know, it's it's about striking a balance here. So, you know, I I trash a lot of the nonsense that's said on Morning Joe, and rightfully so, but I will tell you when it comes to establishing some kind of a balance in your life and keeping news in its proper place, news and information have a, they have a piece of your day-to-day, but you control how much it is and you keep it there. You don't allow it to start creeping into, you know, everything becomes political and everything is just a constant information loop because that That addiction to the despair of news can become its own escape mechanism from the things that are important in your life, right? Some level of escapism can be good, but you don't want to escape into despair as a means of, and this is what Democrats do with things like climate change. Oh, it's a catastrophic, it's going to end the world, it's existential. I guess I don't have to think about the fact that I'm a huge phony who pretends to care about you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And and really, I just wanted to put something on my Instagram page. But, oh, I, I, I don't have time to think about that because the existential threat of climate change just keeps me up at night. You see what I mean? I don't have time to think about how poorly I treat my coworkers or employees because I'm too busy being worried about, about, uh, you know, fighting systemic racism in police departments across the country by putting a few hashtags on my Twitter account, right? Yeah. You see how that works? Central to the Democrat ethos.